0: Hello and welcome to the latest Funds Fan Podcast. Coming up later on in the podcast is a chat with one of the funds in Interactive Investors ACE 40 Ethical Rated List, and that is the Foresight Global Real Infrastructure Fund. In the interview, its fund manager, Nick Scullion, explains why listed infrastructure is considered a good option as an inflation hedge. But as ever, In the first part of the podcast is a look at a couple of news stories related to funds and investment trusts. For this episode, I'm joined by Lee Wilde, Head of Equity Strategy at Interactive Investor. Lee, we're going to discuss the rocky short-term performance of Britain's most popular investment trust, which is Scottish Mortgage. But before we get to that, could you briefly summarise why stock markets have had a very bumpy first month of the year?
1: Hi, Carl. Sure. The big story has been U.S. tech and the uh, the sharp decline in prices. A lot of the star stocks have, have fallen sharply. Netflix, the uh, COVID vaccine firm Moderna and Amazon, even Tesla. Most of the popular names did badly in, in January. Um, U.S. techs have been especially hard hit. That's because of the prospect of higher interest rates in the U.S. Uh, this year and next higher interest rates typically affect growth stocks more than others. So uh, higher rates mean higher borrowing costs, both for companies um, and their customers. So uh, and disposable income shrinks. So uh, central banks raise rates when they want to cool the economy, um, typically when uh, inflation is is running hot. So uh, the Federal Reserve's meeting last Wednesday did nothing to soothe concerns about the scale of increasing in US borrowing co- costs that um, uh, we should expect in the coming uh, months. So uh, Nasdaq Composite um, Index, it, it's made up of the high growth tech shares. So uh, that was a especially hard hit. But look, it's not just interest rates that, that worry the traders. The quarterly results season has been mixed. Enough outlook and guidance statements have, have left investors underwhelmed. And we've still got supply chain issues and, and shortages um, still remain a concern. I mean, some companies, Apple uh, springs to mind, managed to avoid that particular banana skin, but Tesla didn't. So um, valuations they are a problem, too. In a nutshell, investors, they've got to decide whether companies can justify the current stock market valuation, uh, which even after the sharp declines we've seen this month, are high by historical standards. So on top of all this, you've got any number of geopolitical issues to consider, Ukraine, Russia, China relations. Um, and the, uh, the pandemic, of course, is still bubbling away in the background. So um, it's why I keep talking about sensibly valued uh, companies with solid fundamentals like revenue, profits and dividends.
0: What you've just described, Lee, the market rotation, seeing a sell-off in growth and technology shares, has led the vast majority of funds to post losses in January. I ran the data on FE Analytics and out of the universe of just over 5,000 funds, a total of 582 produced a positive return, so in percentage terms, close to 90% of funds posted losses during the month. The funds and investment trusts with a bias or an exclusive focus to technology shares have, um, have been among the, uh, you know, the main losers. In January, Allianz Technology Trust posted a share price decline of 19% and Polar Capital Technology Trust was down 15%, just to give two examples. Scottish Mortgage, meanwhile, uh, saw its share price fall 16.5% in January. The trust, which is consistently the most popular trust each month among Interactive Investors customers, backs disruptive companies that have a technological edge over competitors. Its top ten holdings include Moderna, Tesla, Tencent and Delivery Hero. It also has a sizeable position, Uh, just under 20% of its assets at present in unlisted companies, Many of these companies are at an early stage of their development. So therefore, when there's a heavy sell off in technology companies, Scottish Mortgage is bound to be negatively impacted. And in contrast, when tech shares are in favour, this provides a boost to performance. And in the 12 month period for the trust to the end of last March, Scottish Mortgage posted its strongest ever yearly return in its 112 year history, with its share price up 99%. So the big question now for investors is whether to hold, fold or buy more. What are your thoughts, Lee, on Scottish Mortgage?
1: Well, it's a big question. Uh, and, and before I answer, I've got to declare an interest here. I put a very small sum of money each month into Scottish Mortgage in one of my daughter's junior ISAs. So uh, I use regular investing to avoid fees. So I'm, I'm just going to let that run for the uh, the long term, I'm not. I'm not jumping ship. There's not, there's not an awful lot at stake there. But uh, uh, taking a step back, uh, it's impossible to say that this is the end of the the line for uh, for Scottish Mortgage and that, that, that the shares are going to tumble. I mean, yes, it's had an incredible run, so um, it's no wonder investors have been shareholders for a long while. have taken profits, um, but it's suffered big declines before and bounced back. I mean, during the financial crisis, if you remember, it lost well over half its value. It fell sharply during the COVID crash as well. It wasn't immune. So, I mean, it's it's a well-managed um, trust. It gives investors valuable diversification into parts of the global economy and stock market sectors that UK investors might otherwise struggle to access. I'm thinking China and unlisted companies, as you've mentioned. So I'm not saying... Uh, they will, but I wouldn't be surprised if the shares fell back a bit further while market participants continue to monitor the, the bigger influences on on stock valuations. Um, it depends how far this pandemic recovery rally unwinds across um, across all growth markets. Um, Carl, I know you hold Scottish Mortgage in your eyes, so um, what have you been doing?
0: I'm literally um, sitting on the fence as I've done nothing. I was fortunate enough to buy Scottish Mortgage a decade ago. So it served me very well. So the recent short term share price wobble has hardly harmed the returns that the trust has made for me personally over that long time period. But if you did buy at a bad time, such as you know the beginning of December, and you're finding yourself twenty five percent down, you'll need a gain of thirty three per cent to get back to even. And that is an uncomfortable position to be in. But Scottish Mortgage is not the sort of trust to invest in if you don't have the stomach for these sorts of short term swings. It invests in an adventurous manner and the trust asks investors to judge performance over five years. So this is the minimum holding period that investors should also be adopting. Some investors will have been buying the dip over the past month, particularly at at times when Scottish Mortgage has seen its discount widen. But personally, what's put me off buying more is that it's already the largest holding in my ISA. So I don't want to increase individual risk further by making it an even bigger part of my portfolio. We're now gonna switch our focus to UK dividends. The recently published Link Dividend Monitor report revealed that UK dividends staged a recovery in 2021 with overall dividends, which include special dividend payments, rising year on year by 46.1% to 94.1 billion. However, the dividend outlook for 2022 is less rosy as overall dividend payments are expected to fall by 7% to 87.5 billion. The reason why is mainly down to the fact that it's unlikely that the big dividend sector success story of 2021 will continue in 2022. Lee, could you explain further?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, last year's big contributor was the mining sector, uh, made up almost a quarter of the 94.1 billion paid out in UK dividends. So uh, mining companies made huge profits last year. That's because demand returned following the initial pandemic retraction. Commodity prices surged and there were fewer concerns about overcapacity. Um, Rio Tinto, good example, generated a dividend yield of over 11%, uh, more than the others, most of the others, as well as the uh, ordinary dividends. Uh, It could pay two special dividends. uh, That's because demand from China doubled iron ore prices. So uh, we see a, a decline in iron or prices, or we have done. Uh, but now there's fresh optimism about a building boom in China once the Beijing Beijing Winter Olympics are over, um, and concerns about supply from Australia also pushed up iron ore prices to multi-month highs. So um, uh, it's unlikely, uh, highly unlikely, that the big special dividends uh, like the ones that we saw last year will be paid out in 2022. Um, but the mining sector is still a, a very, and historically has been a very generous dividend player. Um, The link data also points to UK equities yielding 3.5% this year. That's less than we were used to before the pandemic, but it's um, still generous compared to returns elsewhere.
0: Yeah, and it's particularly uh, generous compared to um, the paltry returns that um, savings accounts are offering. Of course, with with investing, there's uh, there's more risk involved in pursuit of um, those potentially greater rewards. And if inflation does remain sticky in 2022, it's going to be a challenge for investors to keep their money growing in real terms. Returns from equities have evened out at around about 5% over the years, and this is less than the current rate of inflation of 5.4%.
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, the current inflationary environment has been brought about by um, the post-COVID consumer boom at, at the same time as the... Global economy is struggling with supply supply problems. So, um, I mean, there are worker shortages, wage rises, oil prices at multi-year highs and approaching a hundred dollars a barrel, rising energy bills. I mean, the list goes on. So, um, when inflation's low, as you know, interest rates um, are low, which makes it cheaper for companies and individuals to borrow. The economy grows, um, but high inflation that erodes purchasing power. Your money doesn't go as far as it used to. So. Um, I mean, in previous high inflation periods, um, sectors that have done well include oil, um, I mean, emerging markets, gold, cyclical stocks, um, higher interest rates worth remembering, also good for financials as well. Um, That includes the UK banks. So um, businesses with pricing power and the strong competitive advantages are are likely to do best um, because they can pass on higher costs to customers quickly um, without hurting the top line. So it's why supermarkets... Uh can also be more resilient, all things being equal.
0: For our funds Manager interview, I'm joined by Nick Scullion, Fund Manager of the Foresight Global Real Infrastructure Fund. Hi Nick. Hi there Carl. Nick, could you firstly run through how the Foresight Global Real Infrastructure Fund invests? What types of infrastructure companies do you
2: invest in? The Global Real Infrastructure Fund targets attractive risk-adjusted return by investing into companies on a global basis that are listed on developed market exchanges that own and operate real infrastructure assets. So we're specifically targeting the kinds of businesses that own real physical assets and get the majority of their revenues from owning and operating those facilities. We're specifically excluding companies that are more active in the value chain elsewhere for infrastructure. So constructors and contractors, we're looking for companies that have long dated government backed index linked cash flows.
0: And what is the current geographical split of the fund? And is that likely to
2: change in the future? Yes, the geographic split is currently, um, it's well diversified. So we have about 28% of the fund invest in the United States. The second largest um, uh, allocation in the fund is in the UK with just about 27% as well. After that, you've got Canada, but you've also got well-diversified access to other uh, developed market economies with um, solid cash flows um, coming from government counterparties in places like New Zealand, Norway, Ireland, Australia, Germany, Sweden, um, Spain. And it's likely to remain well-diversified. We're not seeing a major structural shift in the geographic exposure, but it's important to remember that the due diligence that we do is very much bottom up and the portfolio that we have at the moment is indicative of where we see the best opportunities um, from a bottom up asset level perspective.
0: And how does the fund take into account environmental issues? Are there certain companies or sectors that you would not invest in on ethical grounds?
2: There are sectors that we wouldn't look at at all in the fund. Um, We consider oil and gas extraction businesses to be inappropriate for the infrastructure, sustainable infrastructure model that we're looking at here. Uh, We also have an investment framework which um, includes sustainability considerations uh, directly within the investment policy. So we look to see that all of the companies that we invest into are um, appropriately managed and own assets that are delivering a net social or environmental benefit. Um, we like to see that all of the companies we invest into also comply with all 10 principles of the United Nations Global Compact. That covers anti-corruption, it co- covers labour rights, it covers human rights and environmental considerations.
0: And how hands-on are you in terms of engaging with companies?
2: Engagement is something that is is one of the three Uh, diligence prongs for us. Um, We're looking at uh, the asset base and we're looking at sustainability grounds, but we're also meeting with management teams on a regular basis to discuss not only the operating asset base that they have, but how their strategy is developing and adapting to macroeconomic conditions and changing with the infrastructure landscape. We aim as an investment team to go out and visit assets with management teams um, as part of our pre-screening due diligence, but also as part of our ongoing uh, monitoring engagement. We quite frequently speak to management teams about how we would like to see portfolios develop um, and where red lines are for us in terms of ethical and environmental issues.
0: I wanted to move on to inflation Listed infrastructure is considered a good option as an inflation hedge. How much of the fund has exposure in percentage terms to inflation-linked revenue streams? And could you give
2: a couple of stock examples? That's a really good question and it is really important for infrastructure investing. Um, The types of companies that we invest into have long-dated cash flows, 20-plus-year cash flows, contracted with governments or highly creditworthy counterparties and these are mechanically linked to inflation. So within those contracts there is a clause that escalates the revenue payable on an annual basis um, in line with an inflation measure. Within the fund it's uh, approximately 70% of those cash flows are directly linked to a measure of inflation with the other 30% being an indirect linkage. Uh, And to give you an example uh, here in the UK the renewable energy companies that we invest into um, a good portion of their revenue is, is contracted under the UK government subsidy scheme for renewable energy generation. Um, Every year that uh, subsidy payment, the amount that is paid per megawatt hour of energy, escalates in line with an inflation measure. So that's true on on the basis of all of the assets that we run on a global basis Um, and we think that that's a really attractive um, element of the fund in this inflationary environment that we're in at the moment.
0: And the fund aims to achieve a yearly return in excess of consumer price index inflation plus 3% over any five-year period. Is this a target that you still think is achievable given that UK inflation is now much higher than it has been for a long time?
2: yes there are two reasons why it's still eminently achievable so the first is the underlying contract structures of the assets that we invest into they are mechanically linked to inflation so when inflation goes up the revenue streams of these companies that we invest into goes up and therefore our investment objective remains in range the other element that i would highlight is that uk cpi even coming in at five percent adding three percent to that gives us an annualized return target around eight percent if you look at the investment um investment returns that the companies that we invest into are are seeking to achieve on an annual annual basis, that is in excess of 8% on the assets that they're looking to invest into and manage. So the underlying portfolio is is contracted in a manner with which inflationary um, pressures uh, seek, seek to uplift the value of the fund as well.
0: And could you name one theme or trend that you're investing in that excites you most in terms of its growth prospects for 2022 and beyond?
2: Yes, one of the elements of the infrastructure landscape that we're investing into at the moment is digital infrastructure. Now, the fund has had a, a long-standing exposure to renewable energy and sustainable infrastructure and core and social economic infrastructure. Um, however, we're only bringing digital infrastructure into the portfolio in a meaningful way. Uh, for the last 12 months or so. The fund is looking to increase that exposure given what we see as the attractive tailwinds to the digital infrastructure sector. I'm talking about things like data centers, subsea fiber, cabling, um, cell towers, that all support the interconnectivity and globalization um, of, of digital world.
0: And what would you say are the main attractions and also the risks to bear in mind for an investor that's looking to have some exposure to infrastructure as part of a diversified portfolio?
2: I think the real attractive nature of real infrastructure that we're targeting within this fund is the long-term diversification benefits that it offers. So. Over the long term, the business models that we're targeting with this fund will not necessarily be correlated with global macroeconomic conditions and will not be driven by the same um, elements that are pushing equity markets. At a time when other diversification asset classes are proving fairly difficult to navigate, I'm thinking fixed income, a traditional diversifier, Uh, infrastructure certainly has a role to play both in providing an income, but also providing diversification. Now, in terms of the risks that investors should consider, uh, clearly um, long duration assets like infrastructure assets that are contracted for multi-decade time horizons um, do have interest rate sensitivity. Um, We are in a a period of rising interest rates in in global economies. Um, However, um, this is a growing pool of assets. Um, We expect quality growth through these businesses over the next few decades. And the inflation protection that you get contracted with the assets does also serve to protect against that interest rate sensitivity to some extent as whilst rates go up in um, response to inflation you expect to see higher revenue numbers and better earnings posted by the businesses that own these real assets.
0: And finally a question that we ask all fund managers that appeared on the podcast do you personally
2: invest in the Forsyth Global Real Infrastructure Fund? I personally invest in the fund. I've recently uh, upped my allocation to the fund. Um, I encourage uh, all of my colleagues in the investment team uh, to be invested in all of our funds.
0: Nick, thank you very much for your time today. That's it for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening. And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then please do give us a follow and give us a like. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, there's lots of great news and analysis of funds investment trusts and etfs on the ii website so do check it out ii.co.uk